Hello and welcome to the God Breathe Word. So we are going to start in the New Testament and I want to go through an overview before we get into it. This way it holds me accountable, it holds you accountable. You can follow along with the readings. I will do these readings every single night and we are going to get through all of the New Testament and then we'll go to the Old Testament. So the New Testament starts with Matthew, and Matthew is a brief history of the life of Christ, pointing to Jesus as the promised Messiah. Mark is the briefest and most fast-paced history of the new life of Christ. Luke is the history of the life of Christ, focusing on his important miracles and teachings. The book of John is the life of Christ, including many teachings and events not recorded by the other gospel authors. Acts the history of the apostles and the early Christian church. Romans, Paul writes extensively on key realities of Christian belief and justification by faith alone. 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks to the errors of the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians, Paul encourages the church in Corinth and defends his character. Galatians is Paul's letter points out that believers are justified by faith, not by our own efforts. Ephesians, Paul's positive letter focuses on God's amazing grace and urges the church to live in love. Philippians is where Paul writes on Christian contentment, unity, and kindness. Colossians, Paul warns his audience against following false teaching, focusing on Jesus' work of salvation. Thessalonians, Paul encourages his listeners to continue to live in a way that pleases God. Second Thessalonians is Paul encourages the church and talks about Jesus' second coming. First and second Timothy, Paul encourages and instructs his young student Timothy in his role as a pastor. Titus, Paul encourages Titus in his role as a pastor. Philmon, Paul asks a believing slave owner to treat a believing slave with kindness. In the book of Hebrews, it's a discourse on how Jesus is the ultimate and permanent fulfillment of the Messiah law. James is a letter from Jesus' brother on the necessity of combining faith with work. First and second Peter, the apostle warns and encourages his audience as they live their Christian lives. First John, John elegantly explains basic truths about the Christian life. Second John, John warns a believing lady about false teachers. Third John, John's letter to a believing man thanking him for his hospitality. In the book of Jude, a letter warning Christians against those who tried to deceive them. In the book of Revelation, John's vision of the exalted Christ and the future of the church. So I want to go through this and read thoroughly because when it says that we read the word and we pray before we read the word, those who read the word and understand the word will be blessed. So I really want to understand the word. I've read through some of the, um, the books of the Bible and I've understood a lot of things, but there's still a lot of things that I don't understand. And I believe that doing this podcast and sharing the word with my audience will keep me accountable, will keep you accountable. And if you ever have a revelation, if you ever have something that comes to your heart, don't hesitate to reach out and message me and let's share it together on this podcast. 
or share your testimony, something that you've been through that you have come out of through Christ, because it is through Christ that we can do all things. So I wanted to start with the gospel according to Matthew. And the author, the early church uniformly attributed to this gospel of Matthew and no tradition to the contrary ever emerged. So this book was known early and accepted quickly. And Matthew occupied the unpopular post of tax collector. Matthew was the tax collector. He was the disciple that was collecting taxes before Jesus said, follow me. He was the tax collector in Capernaum for the Roman government. And as a result, he was no doubt disliked by his Jewish countrymen. So he was chosen as one of the 12 apostles, and the last appearance of his name in the Bible is in Acts one thirteen. Matthew's life from that point is um, on is veiled in tradition. So Matthew is typically described as the story of Jesus written by a Jew for Jewish people. In this context, it contains the most references to Jewish culture and the Old Testament of the Gospels, which we'll get to the Old Testament after we get through Matthew to Revelation. The author's main purpose seems to be proving to his Jewish readers that Jesus is their Messiah. Matthew is also the fullest systematic account of Christ's teachings, and these five blocks of teaching are one of the key differences with the other Gospels. Chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 10, the Mission Charge, and chapter 13, the Parables of the Kingdom. Chapter 18 is the Church, chapter 23 through 25, Judgment, and the End of the World. What an awesome, amazing God that we have, that God breathed word, his word that was breathed into men to write for us as basic instructions before leaving this earth. So let's talk about the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. This is in Matthew 1, where we're going to start. The genealogy is crucial to his claim to be the Messiah as it traces the lineages of Joseph his recognized father, back to Abraham through David. It shows that from a legal standpoint, Jesus is qualified to rule from the throne of David. So the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son, the descendant of David, the son, descendant of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was the father of Perez and Zara by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And if I'm saying these names wrong, God forgive me, but these were these names, biblical names, some of them are really hard to pronounce. So if you want to look them up and correct me, please send me a message. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, and Jeram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasiah, Manasiah the father of Amon, and Amon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jekiah, also called Coniah and Jehokim. 
<laughs> and his brothers at the time of the deportation exile to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shetel, and Shetel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihad, Abihad the father of Alakim, and Alakim the father of Azar. Azar was the father of Zadok, Zadok was the father of Esham, and Esham was the father of Eliod. Eliod was the father of Elazar, the Elazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah, the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were are 14. From David to the Babylonian deportation, 14 generations. And from the Babylonian deportation to the Messiah, 14 generations. So let's talk about the conception and the birth of Jesus, which is in Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to, J- to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her promised husband, being a just and righteous man and not wanting to expose her publicly to shame, planned to send her away and divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, descendant of dream, saying, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. The Lord is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. All this happened in order to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which when translated means God with us. Then Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary to his home as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until the until she had given birth to a son, her firstborn child, and he named him Jesus. The Lord is salvation. Now we're going on to Matthew 2, the visit of Magi. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Herod the great Magi, wise man, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, <clears throat> Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he called together all the chief priests and scribes of the people and anxiously asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed was born. They replied to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not in any way least among the leaders of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly sent for the Magi and learned from them that the exact time the star had first appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them, 
continually leading the way, and until it came and stood over the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, after opening their treasure chests, they presented to him gifts, fit for a king, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herat, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Matthew 2.13, we start in the flight to Egypt. Now when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod intends to search for the child in order to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Herod slaughters the babies. And then Herod, when he realized that he had been tricked by the Magi, was extremely angry and he sent soldiers and put to death all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that area who were two years old and under, according to the date which he had learned from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. <clears throat> But when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod the Great, he was afraid to go there. Then being warned by God in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee and went and settled in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So Jesus was a Nazarene. Now we're going on to the preaching of John the Baptist. First, or this is in chapter 3 of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist appeared preaching in the wilderness of Judea along the western side of the Dead Sea and saying, Repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance, seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the one who was mentioned by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the road for the Lord, make his highway straight, level, and direct. Now this same John had clothing made of camel's hair and a wide leather band around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. When we say repent, that's the Greek verb translated repent indicates a change of attitude. The basic idea of it, the basic the basic idea of repenting is the recognition of sin and a reversal of thinking with change to your life. When we repent of our sins to our Lord and Savior, once we have accepted Him as our Christ, 
as our Lord and Savior. We can repent our sin and turn away from our sins through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is a free gift. That salvation is given freely by professing it with your mouth and accepting Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior, having faith in him that he can and will cleanse you of all sin. And then we are in constant repentance through our salvation because we are constantly renewing our minds and our way of thinking and living our life that proves repentance because we seek God's purpose for our life because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is our, that is our, um, our, our approval of showing an outward appearance of accepting Christ into our hearts. Because if there is no heart change, then did you really accept him into your heart? If we don't see a change, if we don't see a repentant heart, if, we, if there is no evidence of turning away from your sins, then you really didn't accept Jesus into your heart. Because once you accept him, he works on your heart and through you, you can do all things and you can turn away from those sins. Now this same John had clothing made of camel's hair and a wide leather band around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the divine wrath and judgment to come. So produce fruit that is consistent with repentance, demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and conscious decision to turn away from sin. And And do not presume to say to yourselves as a defense, We have Abraham for our father, so our inheritance ensures us of salvation. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children, descendants for Abraham. So we can't just presume to say that we have Abraham, which is our father, Jesus Christ. We can't just keep saying that we have him, but not showing that consistent repentance and demonstrating new behavior that proves a changed of heart. This is the God-breathed word. So many people think that just because they say, God knows my heart, I have Jesus, that you have accepted his free gift of salvation. Your, your fruit, your fruit will be consistent. Your fruit is that is consistent with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves as a defense, I'm going to read it again, we have Abraham for our father, so our inheritance ensures us of salvation. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children, descendants for Abraham. And already the axe of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water because of your repentance. That is because you are willing, willing to change your inner self, your old way of thinking, regret your sin and live a changed life. But he, the Messiah who is coming after me is mightier, more powerful, more noble than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to remove even as his slave. He will baptize you who truly repent with the Holy Spirit and you who remain unrepentant 
with fire judgment. Preparing the way for the Lord in verse 3-3. As roads were smooth and straightened for the arrival of a king, so John was preparing a spiritual path for the Messiah. A spiritual path. That's what we, we, we prepare for the Lord. as It's a spiritual path in our hearts. And the Pharisees and Sadducees were two prominent groups in Judaism at the time of Christ. The groups differed considerably in their beliefs. And the Pharisees not only based their beliefs on the law of Moses, but also on a large body of oral tradition. They were devout and zealous, concerned with outward righteousness. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can do to save our own lives. We are only given the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ with a true repentant heart, turning away from our sins, true repentance, showing consistent to produce fruit that is consistent with repentance, demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. Our conscious, we're we're born into sin. We're born into sin because of Adam and Eve. We're born with a sinful nature. God gave us an advocate. God gave us a way out of that sin so that we could turn away from that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptized, sometimes fire has connotations of judgment in Scripture, but but here the fire of God's Spirit represents the transforming power of His grace and love. The baptism of all Jesus' disciples with water is an outward sign of the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Once you've received the Holy Spirit into your heart, you, you want to do anything you can to show an outward appearance that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's why people will know you by your fruits, fruits of the Spirit. You, you want to be baptized so that you can bury the old man down in that water and come out cleansed and clean and full of the Holy Spirit and cleaned of all your sins, dying to yourself, dying to that old flesh, given new life in Christ. The baptism of all Jesus' disciples with water is an outward sign of the inward work of the Holy Spirit. It is the symbol of obedience to the command to believe in Christ's saving work of grace on the cross. It's showing that you believe that he died on that cross for our sins to give us that saving grace. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear out his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat the believers, unto his barn kingdom, but he will burn up the chafe, the unrepentant, with unquenchable fire. Those who do not repent of their sins and turn away from their sins and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be cast into the lake of fire. The baptism of Jesus. We are in Matthew three thirteen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, vigorously protesting, saying, It is I who need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus replied to him, Permit it just now, for this is the fitting way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John permitted it and baptized him. 
After Jesus was baptized, he came up immediately out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he, John, saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him, Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased and delight and delighted. <clears throat> God is the Father. God, the Father of Christ. He's the Father of Christ. Most Christians eventually wonder how God may be called the Father of Christ and Christ the Son of God. Well, first, one must recognize that God is spirit, and Christ was the Son of God before he assumed a human body in Bethlehem. And passages which use terms implying physical origin must be taken in a figurative sense, Hebrews 1.5. Second, the title expresses a sonship relationship unique from that of his disciples. He was begotten of God unlike anyone else. The Nicene Council in the 4th century used the phrase, Very God of very God begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, to describe this unique relationship. Thirdly, the title describes equality with God. When Jesus claimed to be one with the Father, he was speaking of a unity of substance with the Father and thus equality in all the attributes of deity. The Jews understood this claim because they took up stones to stone him, protesting that you make yourself out to be God. Fourth, the title emphasizes Christ's role as the revealer of God. He alone possesses the knowledge of the Father, and he is the sole mediator of that knowledge. Therefore, no one can know the Father except through the Son. It is written. So next time, um, we will talk about the temptation of Jesus, because after we are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by Satan. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is when you are going to face some of your biggest battles with temptation. Things are going to come against you, but God has given you the power through the Holy Spirit, and you're going to grow through that. You're going to grow through that but it's written. It's already written in the Bible. God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those temptations. And you can't do it on your own. You have, you have to lean on God's strength. That's why he gives you his strength. You have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And he has given you the power and the will to overcome temptation. So on the next episode of our um, New Testament reading... We will go into Matthew chapter 4, and we'll talk about the temptations that Jesus faced from Satan, and given the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome, and how he begins his ministry, the first disciples, the ministry in Galilee, and we'll talk about the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So, until next time, I hope that you have enjoyed this reading, and God bless.